I'm Eric Bibb, and this is the Blues Podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Blues Podcast. I'm Big Boy Bloater, and I'm very happy to say I've got an amazing guest here today uh, to talk to, uh, all, about all sorts of things. Very excited. Now, uh, he's, he's had a, an amazing career spanning five decades. Uh, it's Grammy nominated, multiple awards, here, there and everywhere. A, a really, really talented guitarist, a great singer, and just generally an all-round lovely bloke. I'm very pleased to say I'm here chatting with Eric Bibb. Hi, Eric. How are you doing? I'm doing great. If you keep talking like that, my hat won't fit. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to say, uh, you, you look absolutely fantastic, man. For, uh, there's a lot of people who are just listening to the podcast and not actually watching it because you can listen or watch. Uh, for those who are just listening, yeah. I'm going to describe your hat because it's, it's amazing. It's kind of like a, a creamy white hat. It's got a super huge yeah. brim. I love it. It looks fantastic. Is there a name for that hat or is it just the Eric? Well, it's, it's, a, it's a Panama. It's a Panama and uh, made in Ecuador. Um, purchased in London. <laughs> wow, yeah. <laughs> yeah. gets about a bit that hat, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I like it very much. You look, you look incredibly smart and, and cool, man. I really, really like that. That's cool. Yeah, I thank feel, you. thank you. I feel quite uh, inadequate in my tiny little hat now. I tell you, <laughs> no, it, it suits you. It looks good. It looks good. It's got the right well, thank up. you very much. Thank you, yeah. uh, Eric's Great to have you here today. Um, uh, so much we got to talk about, but I want to go right back into your roots first if that's okay and i want i want to sure. know um your father was uh, in musical theater he was in uh, folk music and mm. i think it was uh, your uncle was a jazz pianist right john lewis um that's right. so you've got folk on one side and a piano and and uh and jazz on the other side how did you end up becoming a guitarist playing blues with all <laughs> those other influences around you did you go look i'm going to do my own thing or was it uh, just a it, it wasn't really a conscious, yeah, it wasn't really a conscious, you know, like I'm going to go this way and my dad went that way and my uncle went that way. It was more um, something that just evolved out of um, uh, my upbringing, which was really eclectic, musically speaking. You know, I heard everything from, you know, um, from bebop to Mahalia Jackson, you know, to Lead Belly to, yeah. uh, you know, Big Bill Brunsey. Um, to the Beatles, to Motown, to, you know, I heard everything that was around me and everything that I enjoyed, I basically, uh, you know, put on my hard disk, you know, so the influences are many and I actually think of them as all related, you know, in some way. But I guess because uh, my dad uh, made a name for himself when I was young in the folk music uh, world that was the epicenter of uh, New York City at that time. Yeah. Um, all of that uh, type of music, which included, of course, acoustic blues, people like Lead Belly, Odetta, Big Bill Brunsey, uh, the fact that there were guitars around and people were, you know, finger picking, that was really accessible. That was close at hand. There was a guitar in the house. Um, I didn't need lessons to pick it up and start, you know, fiddling about, <laughs> although I did have lessons uh, pretty early on. So, yeah, um, but it did surprise my, my folks that I ended up, you know, embracing basically country blues. Yeah. Uh, you know, being this guy from New York City, this city bred, 
you know, <laughs> middle class kid. Yeah. Yeah. Were well, you just instantly drawn to the guitar? I mean, where did, you got your first guitar quite young, right? Uh, sort of, uh, yeah, seven or eight. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I, I was about seven. My dad had a little guitar um, in the house, uh, so that was around. But I started playing um, with the, the intent to be good at around seven or eight. You know. Yeah. yeah. And so what? when you first picked up the guitar, what sort of songs were you playing in? Was it the sort of folk blues end of the things or were you playing stuff that your dad knew or? Well, actually I was just trying to get my hands around an A minor chord, you know, <laughs> trying to make it sound like lamb. it should, yeah. you know, without it buzzing and freaking out. The problem was, you know, I had a cheap guitar and the setup wasn't really happening. So I really struggled with this little steel string guitar to make uh, a kind of clear sounding chord you know that was the challenge i wanted to throw that thing out the window at first because it was just you know my fingers ached and it sounded all kind of jumbled up and not really clear but you know you persevere and uh, yeah yeah it starts starts got, slowly got become, yeah 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 I, i'm still getting there man but you know yeah yeah <laughs> we, we all are <laughs> well you're not like tempted at any point i mean you know growing up in the 60s and surrounded mm. i know you're surrounded by a lot of folk people and that sort of thing but you're not, mm. not tempted at any to, to go do you know what i just want to pick up an electric guitar and rock out kind of thing like you know mm -hmm. well um no actually it never really um drew me in i was in a little blues band you know as an early teenager um uh and my friends played you know uh, electric guitar um i was the singer i wasn't the guitar player in the band and um, no, for some reason, even though I heard Hendrix live, you know, when I was, you know, a teenager in New York, he came to um, Hunter College and uh, he uh, had a gig there with the Trogs opening up, you know, yeah. the guys that did Wild Thing. Yeah. And I heard all of that music, um, but no, it never really drew me in. It was really the acoustic guitar and even classical guitar that right. really had my, my um, attention. Yeah. Yeah. That finger picking stuff is is, is amazing. Mm -hmm. And I, I I try every now and then, and I get a little so far, and I just think, yeah, man, it's, it's so hard. It's just such a different beast from from mm -hmm. everything else that I've done. Um, I mean, what do you think about the, the 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 modern blues scene now? It's very very rock orientated, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Do you think we could do yes. with a bit more of that folk back in there, a bit more of the roots back in yeah. it? Well, yeah, you know, I think it's it's going to evolve the way it evolves, and I think there's a um, a whole tribe of younger, uh, maybe people who are not really on the map yet, but I'm noticing it from, you know, I, I, I give Skype lessons and stuff. And there seems to be all over from, you know, Australia to the States to, to Europe and Scandinavia, a whole bunch of young players, gals and guys, who are actually uh, discovering this finger picking thing. And maybe that has something to do with this rise in singer songwriting, Americana kind of popularity. Yeah. But people seem to be interested in that um, more than ever. Uh, so I expect to see more of that. Um, as for the blues rock thing, you know, what I'd love to see is um, anything that's, um, what can I say, that really uh, lets you know that they've been listening to uh, the history of great amplified blues music, you know, right, yeah. uh, and there are people out there. I mean, the person that comes to mind right away, of course, is, is, uh, Eric Gales. Right. Who, um, yeah. Who's a, a featured guest on, on an upcoming album of mine. 
Eric is, uh, to me, the, the quintessential um, modern blues guitar player and then some, yeah. you know. And he's, I think just his is <laughs> a bit good. Yeah. <laughs> he's, a, he's a bit tasty. You know, I saw him first uh, uh, perform on uh, Joe Bonamassa's uh, Blues Cruise, and uh, he completely blew me away, completely, you know. Um, I thought, wow, you know, uh, this guy seems to be really modern and really old school all at once, you know. Right, yeah, yeah. 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 Yeah, I agree. Very exciting. Yeah, so it's, yeah, it's, yeah, it's very, uh, it's, yeah, it's good. There's hope. There's hope for music yet, right? Uh, always, so, always. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of uh, the, the things like the blues cruise and all that, when you when you play those things, you must you must kind of think like you know, you must feel pretty good because you kind of like you're the only guy in the room who's doing something different. I find a lot of blues guitars. Mm -hmm. Guitars they all sound a little bit the same. The rock blues thing for me. Mm -hmm. it, you know, it's a lot of it's about getting the guitar solo, and that that does bore me a little bit. I, I much mm. prefer to hear, you know, the chords and the song working together and all that kind of thing. So mm -hmm. you kind of feel a bit special, maybe sometimes when when you when you're at these things, you think, you know, you guys have all got your thing, but hey, I got my thing, and I'm kind of like the only guy in the room doing that. That's pretty good, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, it's it's not a bad uh, gig to have to stick out in that way because. Um, on a blues cruise, people hear a whole lot of music in a short time, and basically their ears need a bit of a rest too, yeah. because um, you know the volume thing is something to think about. So, yes. um, so um, you know, you get out there on the deck and you realize that uh, the levels uh, are pretty, 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 you know, extreme, and um, that's okay out at sea. But you know, when people have had enough of that level of, of decibel. They uh they kind of wander into the the other room where I've got my gig set up and uh you know and they come up and they say hey man it's nice to actually give my ears a bit of a rest so yeah. that's good yeah. there was a, on that same cruise there was uh, the wonderful I don't know if you know uh, Jerron Paxton but he's really um right, yeah. really old school um, he plays like you know like like Fats Waller piano he plays guitar like you know Blind Blake he plays banjo like you know like uh you know all the old guys gus cannon so there's a couple of uh acoustic acts uh in the lineup but mostly i stick out you're right yeah that's a good that's a i think it's a great way to be a great place to be in you know it's just a, mm. yeah i think it's a very very good thing indeed uh, i want to go back uh, a little bit again to the early days and i want to know um i want to keep probing at this thing because i know that you, you like i say you're surrounded by jazz and folk and you know you had a lot of folk stars come to the house i've, I've heard these stories of, mm. of dylan and you know giving you mm. advice about the guitar and that sort of thing but i want to know um kind of when you were by yourself what records were you digging out what stuff were you digging mm. into the early blues mm. i mean we mentioned lead belly uh, yes lead belly for sure big bill brunzi was a, a oh, another one who i really really listened to a lot because I, i'm picking out uh, artists who were basically included in the whole, under the whole folk um, revival umbrella. And that included people like Brunsey, that included Josh White, included Odetta, one of my earliest yeah. sheroes, as she would call herself. Yeah. Um, uh, Elizabeth Cotton, you know, the author of Freight Train, that old standard. Um, those are the kind of finger pickers, Mississippi John Hurt. These are the kind yeah. of uh, people I was listening to. A little later, I had a friend in high school, uh, David Meyer, 
flaming red-haired David Meyer, who was a connoisseur of uh, early Chicago blues. And I'd go over to his house and he'd play me, you know, J.B. Hutto, uh, uh, Buddy Guy with Junior Wells, Otis Spann, um, just an amazing record collection. And sort of after that, I started sliding into even the earlier guys like, you know, um, Tommy Johnson, Skip James, Robert Johnson. I went to um, uh, Europe on my own at about age 18 and 19, and I ran into um, a great legendary guitarist, Mickey Baker, who played, oh, I'm a big fan you of know, bl yeah. yeah, blues and jazz, played with all kinds of great people. Uh, you know, you can find him on a lot of the great early R&B classics. Yeah. Uh, he also had a big hit with Love is Strange with Mickey and Sylvia. With Sylvia. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Mickey was living in Paris when I arrived there and I, I got to meet him through some friends and hang out. And he kind of took me under his wing. And one day uh, he said, take this cassette and this little player into the parlor, close the door, don't come out until you listen to the whole thing. And it was Robert Johnson, King of the Delta Blues Singers. Right. Yeah. And um, I might've heard Johnson before that, but never the whole album. And this was like, diving deep into, you know, the river of blues. Yeah. And it blew me away. And I came out and I said to Mickey, man, listen, man, please tell me that there were two guitar players behind the singer. <laughs> and he said, no, man, that's one guy, one singer, one guitar player, go back and listen again, and then we'll talk about it. So that was, um, that was yeah. really um, a, a, an epiphany, you know, that you could do all of that and sound like that, uh, you know, that blew me away. That's that's a fantastic story, and and uh, like I say, I'm a I'm a really big fan of Mickey Baker. I, I started listening to him when I was I don't know, a teenager because he was he was a session musician a lot in the fifties. That's right. So many yeah uh, rhythm and blues uh, tracks, and even crossing over to rock and roll and stuff. And then of course his solo exactly. Well. So uh, often uh, I, you know I hear a record that I've heard for a long long time, and then I realize oh my god, Mickey Baker was a guitar player on there. That's fantastic. You know, yeah, fantastic. Um, I mean, how do, how does one, you know, just go to Paris and bump into Mickey Baker? I mean, that's, I know, sadly, no longer with us, but... Uh, yeah, well, what happened was, I, yeah, I, um, you know, you, you collect names from, from people you know, and I ended up um, staying in a flat with a whole bunch of other musicians uh, with a woman who was, um, Janine, who was connected to a famous uh, African-American uh, filmmaker, uh, Melvin Van Peebles. And uh, Janine was connected to basically every known African-American musician in Paris at that time. Memphis Slim was there. Um, wow. So I ran into these people, but she was the, the, the conduit. She was the one who introduced me to Mickey. She knew that I, uh, you know, was eager to, uh, to con continue my guitar journey. And she just thought, yeah, you need to meet Mickey. And the interesting thing was, Mickey was from Louisville, Kentucky, which was my dad's hometown. So we had even some right. some some connections there. So it kind of all morphed into, you know, a kind of family affair, you know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's so cool. I, re I really would have loved to uh, just seen him live, really. But uh, He was a funny man. Really? Great yeah. sense of humor. Yeah, great sense of humor. Um at the time that I met him, he was in the middle of, interestingly enough, you know, Mickey was also a great jazz guitar player who, 
who wrote a definitive instruction, you know, manual about jazz guitar. Yes, one I of got the it, first, first series yeah. ones. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah. yeah I'm sure you you went across that. And uh, he was doing well. He he, um, the royalties from that book were 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 basically uh, supporting him because uh, he wasn't really gigging a lot. But what he was doing was working on an album um, produced by Stefan Grossman, um, which was uh, Mickey kind of doing country blues on an acoustic instrument, uh, which was a new project for him. But it's interesting that a guy like him in Paris, sort of in the autumn part of his, his career, would return to uh, the real roots of, of the music that he was famous for, you know, and go into country blues, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's great, man. You've worked with so many uh, great players. Um, you know, I, I know you tour with George Benson and, uh, mm. you know, uh, you, you've worked with uh, with all sorts of uh, players. Uh, who's, I, want, I want to just go straight mm. in there. I'm going to ask the question mm. straight away. Who's your favourite? Oh, my goodness. That's a really <laughs> difficult. That's like saying, spot. man, what's your favorite guitar? We'll get you to know, that in a minute. But had, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I've had a chance. Um, and to me, um, it's, it's almost miraculous when I reflect on it. But um, one way or another through the years, I've had a chance to, to work with many of my heroes who are still alive. And I'm talking about Pops and Mavis Staples, yeah. who I recorded with. You know, I'll tell you that story briefly. I had the good fortune of uh, being associated with um, Mike Vernon, yep. uh, the great blues producer from, from the UK. Mike knew everybody, um, and, Mike, and uh, Mike Vernon and Alan Robinson put together a record label called Code Blue that lasted for a couple of hot minutes. Yeah. Uh, but it coincided with the time that um, my career started taking off uh, basically after an, uh, an appearance at the London Blues Festival. Um, so Mike said to me, we're going to make a record, Eric, and um, I want you to dream big. He said, like, if you could choose, who would you want to be a guest on your album? And I said, really, like the sky's the limit? He said, go for it. I said, really? Pop staples, you know? He said, well, I happen to know Pops because he's... <laughs> associated with John Porter's label, Point Blank Records or whatever. The next thing I knew, Mike and I were on a plane with a big, you know, two-inch reel-to-reel tape in the luggage. We showed up at a studio in Chicago and uh, it's all set up and I'm waiting there at the top of the stairwell and I hear Pop's voice and then I hear this other voice and there's Mavis. And I said to to to, to Roebuck Staples, I said, Mr. Staples, I, so great to see you. I didn't know you were going to bring Mavis. And he said, well, I want it to be a hit, don't I? And uh, so there he was, you know, <laughs> with his um, his legendary daughter. Uh, and uh, we recorded a song uh, that's on that, that, that album, Me To You, that Mike produced. Yeah. And those are two of the, the most luminous uh, musicians who I could think of who I've had a chance to work with. Taj Mahal, of course, is another. I yes, think of Taj yeah. as my big brother. Um, <laughs> I had a chance to record uh, a song with Hubert Sumlin. Wow. You know, uh, yeah, I had a yeah. chance to, uh, yeah, you know, it, it's just insane. Um, I had a chance to uh, open for Ray Charles twice on tour in the States. You know, it just is, 
it's it's amazing when I think about it. I could think of a lot more people open for George Benson at Albert Hall. Yeah. You know, uh, crazy. Uh, yeah, it just goes on. That's that's fantastic. But mm. the real question behind this really is, who who's the worst? <laughs> oh, who's the worst? <laughs> oh my goodness! I I don't think I've had a bad experience with any of my heroes or, or sheroes. Um, no, I must say I've been fortunate. You know, it's not the kind of thing where a record label uh, said to me, oh, we've hooked up this thing and you're going to work with this person because this is going to sell records. It was always based on somebody who I really admired and who I knew I would enjoy. You know, uh, I didn't get a chance to uh, make music with Ray Charles. He was um, a very interesting person, but I did meet him on an occasion. Yeah. And... Um, I saw the way he uh, led his band, which is, you know, something that was a style that I wouldn't embrace. You know, yeah, yeah. he was pretty, he's pretty tough on people. But then again, if you're Ray Charles and you've been through what Ray Charles has been through, I guess you could be a tough band leader, you know? Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. But no, I've had uh, the great fortune, good fortune with uh, all the collaborations uh, with, <laughs> with famous people. Jules Holland's a lovely guy. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. But you know, yeah. Uh, and and I met through him, you know, Solomon Burke. I've been on stages with all kinds of amazing people, you know, uh, yeah. who you learn from uh, just by observing them, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I, th I think you're very lucky. I mean, I've, I've I spent quite a long time running a, a you know, a, a house band backing artists who were visiting from America. Lots of them right. are my heroes. I would say 90%, 95% of them were absolutely fantastic and beautiful, wonderful people. A couple of them right. I was so looking forward to working with <laughs> turned out just to be disappointing yeah. and, and grumpy old men kind of thing. Like, you know, you just think I can imagine, you know, I'm not going <laughs> to say no names, but I can, I can think yeah. of, I can think of one or two who probably are at the top of that list, but you know, <laughs> Yeah, go. let's let's not name names there. Let's be gentlemen yeah, about yeah. it and move on. There you go. Let, let's go back to uh, what's the favorite guitar then? Oh, <laughs> another very, very, very difficult question. You're the tough I'm question. I'm going to tell you, I, I got to, uh, um, there's so many, and I own quite a few guitars, and I've, you know, collected, lost, traded, um, sold others, you know, and with some regret. But yeah. one of the instruments that I'm really, um, crazy about it's an old east german 12 string that um called an otwin that uh a, a, a really wonderful craftsman in in germany uh peter Wall, pimped and he turned it into a resophonic instrument so we're talking about a resophonic 12 string with a pickup and it looks wow. like like this <laughs> yeah you know Wow, that and I pimped it, you know. Beast, yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a beast, man. It's a, oh, it's out of tune. I'm not gonna, <laughs> I'm not gonna play it. But um, you know, it's like that old joke. How do you tune a twelve string? No, how long does it take to tune a twelve string? And the answer, of course, is nobody knows. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's never been done. <laughs> yeah, I, I, but um, is twelve string so you're keen? Because Ledbury played twelve string, right? So yeah. yeah. Uh, I own a couple of 12 strings and I love them. Um, they're um, often unwieldy and they only suit for me certain um, arrangements and certain tunes, but um, I wouldn't be without them. I, I, I love 
12 string guitars. I love baritone guitars. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, I've got one of my favorite instruments is a nylon string baritone guitar made by uh, a maker named Daniel Stark in Germany. Another beautiful um, baritone guitar, probably the first one that I ever had made by Roger Bucknall at Filed Guitars with, um, oh man, just, it's the wood, the back and sides is some kind of pink, um, African wood that's sort of pink colored. It's just, just beautiful cedar top. We could go on, but I have a lot of, um, interesting guitars and um some of them quite unusual like a bulgarian guitar that has two sound holes and that kind of thing you know? right this, yeah, yeah. It's, it's when you start looking into the different shapes and and sizes and designs it can get quite kind of mind-boggling can't it it's uh you know you just generally totally. think of a guitar is this thing it's got you know a hole in the middle and that's it but uh yeah well there's so many uh interesting oh, no. things yeah. yeah yeah it's down to the details yeah yeah, and you know I've been playing guitar not as long as you, uh, but you know uh, a while now, I don't know, 35, 40 years or something, and I'm still you know seeing new guitars that I've never heard of before, like the one you just pulled out then and things like that. And yeah. it's, it's amazing. It's just it's great. There's so much stuff. It's out. endless. <laughs> it is. We could talk about it yeah, for days, really right? Is. But we should, yeah, we should yeah. probably move on. Um, yeah. I want to talk very uh, a little bit about uh, your new album that's coming out. Um, mm. Now it's called Dear America, and uh, it, it's touching a lot on the on the civil rights uh, issues that's happening in the U.S. at the moment. I know that's something that's mm. really important to you, and, and, and most people, mm. frankly, it should be. Uh, how mm. do you how do you use your music to to sort of gain awareness for the civil rights movement? And it's mm. uh, do you think music is a good way of moving that forwards? Yes, I do. Um, I'll just preface what I'm going to say by. Um, mentioning this this album is probably um uh my best work you know it's hard to be objective but yeah uh, in all kinds of ways not just the subject matter but the production i've been working with a producer for years named glenn scott um uh originally uh, uk based but has moved uh here to sweden where i am now but uh an amazing musician multi-talented um singer uh instrumentalist, producer, sound engineer, um, songwriter. And Glenn said to me, you know, Eric, um, we've made records, uh, some good records before, but I really want to see you uh, in the company of some of the top players uh, in the world, rhythm section wise. Uh, and I'd love to see us hire a studio in New York and bring in people like mm, drummer Steve Jordan, um, Tommy Sims on bass. Tommy's a, an amazing player who's played with everybody from Bruce Springsteen to Bonnie Raitt. Steve Jordan, of course, plays with yeah. just about everybody who's had a hit record in the last two, three decades. Um, Ron Carter uh, played upright bass on two tracks. Ron Carter from Miles Davis fame, etc. Some great people, Eric Gales, uh, as I mentioned before. Anyhow, this was kind of a, a dream of his that we actually uh, pulled off. And there I was, you know, uh, a year ago was when we started at a great studio in, in, in Brooklyn, uh, surrounded by amazing musicians, um, great, great gear. Um, and, you know, I'm from New York originally, so it was a bit of a homecoming for me. Yeah. Um, and to, to make this what I call a love letter album 
to to America, dear America, in New York, um, after all of the years of living abroad, was a, a milestone experience for me. And um, the album, uh, when you ask about how do I address issues like civil rights through songs, yeah. um, I'm fascinated by history. I think that um, just being aware of how we got to where we are and why we are in the space we are, why the conflicts are still raging, requires an awareness of history. So I read a lot. And um, one of the stories that uh, uh, I framed in a song for, for Dear America is called um, The Ghost of Emmett Till. Emmett Till was a 14-year-old boy who was murdered in Mississippi back in the 50s. I remember hearing about that when I was quite young, about 10 years old, um, is when I first became aware of it. This happened in 1955, but it was a famous tragic story that was circulated um, among you know African-American communities, but the world knew about Emmett Till because it was such a heinous uh, crime. Anyhow, um, that story really scared me when I was a kid kind of really freaked me out that you know a boy basically my age could be murdered you know for whistling at somebody so um that kind of just germinated i wasn't able to really write about that until very recently and then i remembered that feeling uh, when i came across the story that fear and that foreboding and i was obviously ready because uh, a song came through rather quickly but referring to uh historical events in my songs is one of the ways that I, as you say, you know, address those issues. I don't, it's it's not like I'm a protest singer, even though I grew up in an era right, yeah. with Bob Dylan and Phil Oaks, you know, I'm aware of all of that, but I never really was drawn to that type of song. I was always drawn to funkier songs or songs with beautiful melodies, you know, yeah. that, that was really what, what, what so that, that kind of um, storm the barricades type of music never really worked for me. But telling a story out of the, the record, the true record, you know, in a way that um, is um, less angry and more um, devastated, sad, sharing a tragic event and letting people know that those events are still haunting us. That's kind of my way, you know, yeah, dealing with yeah. those kind of things, you know. Yeah, it's uh, it, it, it's a, it's a tough subject, and mm. uh, one that frankly still every day baffles me. I mean, I, you know, I, mm. I just, I'm just going to ask you straight out a, a huge, massive question, and that sure. is, do you think do you ever see a time when you know we we could actually just uh, all of us celebrate? each other's differences rather than, you know, mm. tormenting and torturing each other for them. Do you think yes. that's ever going to happen in our lifetime? I do. Um, uh, you said the last thing you said in our lifetime gave me pause. Yeah, um, right. <laughs> you know, how long are you going to live, right? Yeah, yeah you know, I, I'm, I'm going for 100. But anyway, I think the, um, I think the human community has been on an evolutionary arc, you know, uh, since the beginning of, 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 of it all. I do see um, changes that are encouraging, although I am saddened to say the least by the um, stubbornness of um, certain mindsets. 
I'm frustrated by the ignorance that abounds. And this is one of the reasons why history for me is so important and spreading the word about what actually is in the record, what happens. There are people, and I don't only mean young people, but I mean people who should know better, who are not able to connect the dots between like what's going on now and what has happened uh, historically that has never been properly uh, addressed, redressed, uh, confessed, uh, you know, um, that's the problem. You can sweep stuff under the carpet for so long, but sooner or later, man, it's going to blow up. And we're seeing a lot of that right now. And uh, I do see um, progress. The whole thing that happened recently with Black Lives Matter that was quite uh, remarkable for many of us who, who've been, you know, involved in this whole uh, uh, movement for so long was seeing so many new people um, who were not uh, typically um, uh, connected to, to the civil rights movement, were actually vocally out there supporting, you know, the yeah. Black Lives Matter movement. Yeah. Young people, paler looking people than me, and that was really, uh, and is very encouraging. So I do hold on to that hope and faith that uh, things will eventually uh, work out, but I actually think it could take much longer than than we want it to. <laughs> yeah, I think sure. it's. Uh, I think it's too uh, long already, right? But uh, yeah, yeah, it's way yeah. too long. And <laughs> but you know, human evolution is is is, you know, it's like we have a choice. We can either avoid massive collective suffering, or we can prolong it. And that choice is sort of always in front of us. And um, I think it's going to take a while. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but, but I, I do I, think I, eventually we'll get there. I guess uh, things like Black History Month, which is obviously in February, uh, things yeah. like that. We just got to keep on with things like that and keep on mm. trying to be the people we know we could be. Right? I often think humans think we, we think we're so intelligent, we think we're so great, <laughs> we've made all these things and all that. Yeah, we're still killing and hating each other. And yeah, it's just like yeah. it's the most ridiculous basic thing. Surely, yes, yeah. Yes, it is mind boggling that we could put people on the moon, that we have these smartphones. We could, you know, I remember when I was a kid, man, watching like the Flintstones and the Jetsons, yeah. and they'd have these little phones where you could see the picture and you think, ah, oh, man, that's just never going to happen. <laughs> and here, yeah. here I am looking at you, you know, uh, and so we, we've uh, accomplished a lot. And you think, well, all of that ingenuity and, and imagination, can't we like direct that energy towards? like really working out why we're still, you know, bashing each other in the streets, you know? Yeah. 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 Craziness. But yeah. I, I'm like you, you know, I think uh, we keep plugging away and we're going to get there. We're going to get there. And I hope that you and I see mm. it and, you know, and, and can live yeah. sometime through that. I don't know. We're going to be really old. Maybe we might have, you know, <laughs> robot parts keeping yeah. us going or something, but hopefully, <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. You know, miracles are, are, are a part of life. So let's let's just uh, pray for miracles. We need them. We definitely need some quantum leaps. Mm. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, like I say, your, your new album is is out out soon. Um, with all the current craziness in the world, are you going to get a chance to, uh, to <laughs> go out and promote that live, or how are you going how are you going to work that? Is it just going to be a very much an online thing now for you, or? Well, yeah. At the moment, it's definitely um, via the uh, 
cyber, you know, uh, yeah. tools that we have because um, all of my gigs have been canceled for the foreseeable future. Um, the next thing that I have sort of just in the, in the beginning stages of maybe it's going to be possible is basically March, 2022. All right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so that gives you an idea, but you know, I am not standing still and I'm certainly going to promote the, um, the album, Dear America, vigorously and, and energetically and enthusiastically via any medium that's safe. Um, and you know, streaming, um, podcasts. Um, I have a Patreon page where every week we post a mini concert for the subscribers, um, which is great for me because I got to tell you, when you're used to traveling around uh, the world, touring, basically that's your lifestyle. And that's what mine was. I was playing, you know, several gigs a week. You know, uh, I didn't have to rehearse because, you know, I'm constantly playing. I knew my songs. I knew the words. Yeah. Um, <laughs> once you stop touring, you, you'd be surprised at how quickly stuff flies away from your fingers. You know, like words muscle, fly right? out that, of your brain. It, it's yeah. a muscle. You don't keep training and using it. That muscle, yeah, it is. It kind of withers exactly. away of it, yeah. It does on the vine. So I've been really happy about this Patreon thing because it's kind of compelled me to um, weekly, you know, get in front of a camera with guitars and sing songs, um, and many of them, because this this has been going on, I'm digging into my back catalog and learning and relearning yeah. songs that I've completely forgotten how to play, not only forgotten how to play, but even forgotten existed. <laughs> so this is really uh, a great opportunity for me to, to review, you know, and see what I've actually done and say, oh man, that song, how did I ever let that one go, you know, off the yeah. set list, you know? Yeah. So yeah, goes on, the beat goes I, on. I think as musicians, we, we we have to have this kind of live outlet somewhere because I think you can play mm. at home, practice as much as you want, and, mm. and that's great, but there's never any danger there. You have to have yeah. the danger of the audience yeah. watching you and thinking, is <laughs> yeah. that going to go wrong? Is that going to, if it yeah. does go wrong, how are you going to get mm. out of it? Yeah, uh, yeah, all of that. Yeah, you're right. Whereas if you're on your own at home, you have none of that, and it's... It, mm. I don't know, it takes the excitement out of it for me, I think, and it's, that's, yes. that's what it is, yeah. Yeah. That spontaneous thing. Well, it's funny with this uh, this uh, virtual stuff with with uh, posting concerts that I film at home. Um, it's not like um, I make them picture perfect. You know, I, I'll, I'll forget a lyric and stop. You know, yeah. <laughs> and start over um, and or fix something on the fly. You know, and it'll turn into something that's really probably a little bit more interesting than had I just played yeah, it, I think you know, so. perfectly. Yeah. Because people yeah, listen and, to the record right and hear it perfect. Yeah, but yeah. You want, man, that, you exactly. want that live performance, because uh, like I say, it's that danger, exactly. it's that edge of danger. Yes, you've made a mistake, you've gone wrong, but it's the way that you recover from that and you pick up and That's get right. back into the song from it. it. has the audience on the edge of their seats kind of thing. That, yes. Goes, wow, well, yes. This, is, this is great. And I think it's that's that's the exciting thing about live performances. You have recordings which are beautiful and perfect and that's your you know that's the way you want it and then you, your live performances yeah. which yeah and i think a, a i'm concert, glad you mentioned a, that because concert yeah. is better when there is a, a something goes wrong and you know you have to go oh man you know i've made a mistake but hey you know i've, I've invented yeah. a new word or something or a new chord yeah yeah exactly yeah and yeah. yeah you're right it gives you information that you didn't have before uh, you fix stuff on the fly and you realize 
that um, your own musicality has developed to the point where you can do something that wasn't planned, but it still sounds uh, in the groove. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. you haven't completely dropped the whole thing, you know, um, and, and that takes some some experience. And it's, yeah. it's nice to be in touch with that part of your skill yeah. set, as it were. Yeah. And sometimes those mistakes evolve into, do you know what? I liked it better like that. That's better. Exactly. And you start doing the song like that and putting it in every exactly. time. Exactly. So exactly. Yeah, so it's uh, and that's another thing you don't get recording really. You know, you make everything perfect to the way, exactly the way yeah. you want it. And it's not until you play the song live a few times it starts to develop and really grow this life of its own. And you know, and, true, uh, true, yeah. yeah, true, true, true. It's nice to when you're recording. I've discovered to combine the two approaches where you're actually going to keep something that's spontaneous and uh perhaps adjust it but maybe not fix it completely so that yeah. you are combining that afterthought thing with something that happens spontaneous and then you have something that's quite quite happening you know yeah mm. yeah um we were talking earlier about you spent uh some time in paris and uh, you're now living in sweden Mm. Uh, you're in Sweden at the moment. Uh, obviously, originally from New York, are, are you missing America at the moment, or are you just kind of happily watching from a distance mm -hmm. what's what's going on there? Good question. Very good question. You know, I, I lived in Sweden for ten years before I went back and lived in the states for another five. Then I came back to Sweden and then very quickly moved to England. Spent a lot of time living in England, which I'm very happy for, uh, and then moved back again to Scandinavia. And at the moment, I got to tell you, even though I have dear ones in America who I am concerned about, um, I realize uh, there's not much I can do um, about that except pray that they're going to be safe. But America has, uh, in the last four years, without going into all of that, become an even more dangerous place. Yeah. And when I say more dangerous, you know, there's something about America that seems to be still attached to the ethos of the wild west it has to do with all of the fascination with you know guns and whatever but there is something that i've noticed uh after living so many years in europe and scandinavia that um is unique to the states and it's a scary uniqueness and uh i'm happy if if that's the word or relieved more aptly to observe what's going on, particularly now, uh, with the with the things that have happened in the last few weeks, happy to observe it from a distance mm -hmm. and yeah. to um, be grateful that I've had a chance to. Let me just dwell on that for a minute. I've had a chance to see my country of birth from another perspective, which has been really uh, helpful to me because I'm not embroiled in that daily emotional tension. And as an African-American, you know, to have stepped away from what is essentially an ever-present reality, whether it's uh, in your face or just in the air, yeah. has been really um, beneficial for me as a, as a human being, yeah. um, you know, to not constantly think of myself as this black man walking the streets who is in more danger than other people just because of that, you know. Yeah. The, the, I'm involved because uh, it's where I come from and because I care about the people who I grew up with and my family and and I have a history of, uh, of being attached to um, a progressive type of um, 
way of looking at things and hoping things change, you know, whether it's my, my upbringing with the Pete Seegers of the world or my father's connection to Martin Luther King or my godfather, Paul Robeson. That's all a part of my uh, background and is still part of my world, but I'm happy to be at something of a distance for yeah. sure. Yeah. It's uh, interesting times we live in, for sure, isn't it? But uh, <laughs> like I say, you know, yes. when you and I are two hundred years old, we're still, we're still, you know, <laughs> yes, about yes. cranking along. We can see it and see how the world's going in and go, eh, yeah, 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 maybe. Yeah. Um, listen, I, I always like to finish up these uh, these little chats with a with a question, and um, mm. but I want we'll you do. to imagine, if you can, um, that it is that in the distance you and i are both old very old men you know very old men we, we've had a great mm -hmm. life we're doing all right uh it's uh the world is a much better place uh you know uh, mm -hmm. there's some kind of cohesion keeping us all together now you know we, we have we have a world president who's who does this great job of keeping everyone happy and mm -hmm. uh we're, we're, you know, we're all friends and we're getting along great and it's Things is it good. a woman? Things are good. It doesn't matter who it is. It doesn't matter who it is. It's a... I hope it's a woman by that time. <laughs> yeah, it could, it could be anyone. It doesn't. It doesn't. Yeah. yeah. But into that mix, we, we're going to bring some disaster because we we hear on the news that three days time there is going to be a huge meteorite that's going to hit the Earth and it's mm -hmm. going to just obliterate everything. Okay, so uh, the world president gets on the phone, whoever that is. This lovely young lady or, or whatever and she, she he says to you she says right eric yeah i'm sure you heard about the uh, the, the, the meteorite is going to hit um you know it doesn't look good for us but we've decided we are going to throw this huge world party you know and have this massive party go out on a big party all together celebrating all the great things in the world and the world president says eric we need music and we want you to play and uh, the question is, if you could have anyone in your band playing with you on stage for that gig, who would it be and what song would you play? That's a great, 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 great question. It's a bit long-winded, I know, but, you know, let's <laughs> like set these things a, up. It's a great question. Well, well, let me put it this way. You know, there are, there are so many heroes and sheroes that uh, are in my pantheon. Um, but having said that, rather than choose uh, iconic musicians, I would want to pick up where I left off when this whole COVID thing happened. I'd like my own band <laughs> to yep. be uh, behind me. I'd like my wife to be um, the guest vocalist along with Mavis Staples. I'd like Taj to, um, to be a guest. Yeah. on 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 that song but the song would have to be needed time and the song is an old spiritual now is the needed time i've sung it i've recorded it with taj i've recorded it with the blind boys of alabama by the way uh i'd bring them in too yeah i'd bring them in. <laughs> yeah, i'd bring them in too you can have and, anyone you want but really, yeah got it yeah. yeah well actually let me let me even go so far as to say since it's really the end of the world bash I would say every musician who I've had a chance to enjoy playing with, whether they're well-known or unknown, I would like them to be in the big band, you know, and um, 
You know, like Bruce Springsteen did that big Pete Seeger tribute album right, yeah. where he put together a big kind of folk orchestra with everything. Yeah. I just have, have my band be the center, augmented by all the people who I've ever played with, who I've really, really gone to heaven uh, with in music. Yeah, that's what yeah. I do. That's great. That sounds like a great way to go out, man. Yeah. Mm. Fantastic. Ruthie Foster would be in there too, you know. <laughs> do you know do you know Ruthie? Ruthie's yep. a great singer. Yeah. Uh I you know, don't get me started. Like I could go on and on and on and on. <laughs> but a lot of voices, a lot of voices. I'd put Eric Gales up in there too, of course. He yeah. he'd get to play the solo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that'd be great. Uh, well, what a great gig that would be to go out on, eh? It really would. Yeah, yeah. and my MD would be uh, Glenn Scott, my producer. And I'd also have, i got to mention, my, my sound engineers, Sam Clayton, who departed uh, uh, a year ago, one of the first COVID cases. Wow. Uh, yeah, yeah. He, he uh, passed away in his native Jamaica while he was uh, on tour. And I'd have my, my dear friend, Still with us, the wonderful Danny Waban, two sound guys who uh, I love working with. Yeah, <laughs> it's not often that sound guys get a, get a shout out, but uh, that's I, what I, I'm saying. I, but without them, you for that, man. without them, yeah. yeah. without them, where would you be, man? You'd be at the you'd mercy. Be very quiet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or you'd be at the mercy of somebody. I had a gig once where they put an apprentice uh, on the soundboard, and we had a perfect sound check, and I had confidence in this chap thought great and then when the gig started i see him constantly twisting knobs i'm saying hey man yeah, yeah. we fixed this like come on bro yeah <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm. some people just can't resist twisting <laughs> yeah the, the, exactly you know, yeah, yeah 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 first thing you learn to do when you're a sound man is listen and then uh, yes. and go from there right you can see you know yeah yeah uh, did Eric, you ever play with hubert hubert by the way i gotta ask you with did you ever run into hubert sumlin no, I didn't. Um, a friend of my, a couple of friends of mine uh, did. A uh, uh, good friend of mine, Imelda May, was in uh, New mm -hmm. York with her band at the time, I think. And they bumped in. They had a little jam with him, and he was. Uh, they said he was absolutely fantastic. It, although apparently on the tie he was on on like a ventilator and could could barely Oh my breathe, goodness, he know. was towards um, the end. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, but he apparently his guitar playing was still absolutely amazing. Mm. Uh, very much. He was a lovely man. Very funny yeah. too. Yeah. Yeah. He told me a story about how little Walter drove his car into the office of, of Chess Records because he was pissed off about some royalty thing. So, you know, he was a pretty wild card kind of guy. <laughs> yeah, an absolute, yeah. absolute mm. cool guy. Uh, I just I love his playing. I think uh, mm. I think one of my favorite uh, Howling Wolf tracks is uh, Smokestack Lightning. And the, uh, yes, the the guitar is hypnotic. I find it hypnotic. It's just it's fantastic. What a great riff! It is absolutely beautiful. So simple. Yeah. But yes, it, it draws. It just draws me in every time. I can hear that song over and over again, and it's like it's me too. It's just fantastic. I right? think I'm going to go listen to it when yeah. we finish because that's a I great track. Everyone should it's do a great that. track. Yeah. Yes. It's a great song. It really is. Uh, Eric, it's been absolutely wonderful talking to you today. The same to so you, brother. Um, mm. I, I wish you lots and lots of success and happiness and a very, very long life. So you and I are going to be there in 200 years time going, well, what, go. what happened then? Yeah. So yeah, it's going to yeah. be, uh, it's going to be good. Let's, uh, let's keep our fingers crossed and, uh, I, I yes. wish you all the best, man. Take care. And I hope to see you on the road Thank somewhere you. sometime soon. Sometime soon. Stay well, go well. 
So if you've enjoyed this, why not like and subscribe to the Blues Podcast right now? Why?